All right, guys, thank you so much for the good singing tonight. Wow, what a blessing to hear that. Let me ask you to get two places in your Bibles this evening. The book of Acts, Handelinger, chapter 18. And we'll read one verse from there, verse 6. Acts, chapter 18, and verse 6. And then in your left hand, if you could get Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 33, please. Acts, chapter 18, and Ezekiel, chapter 33, I'd like to preach to you tonight a short sermon called Sound the Alarm. Sound the Alarm. I've noticed that my sermons are starting to get a little longer and a little longer. By the grace of God, I'm going to keep this one a little shorter, a little shorter. Uh, But to be honest with you, I've learned over the years not to pay so much attention to my watch and try to pay more attention to the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's always a better plan. It's always a better plan. Let's pray about that. Father, please help us tonight. Lord, we're entering into your word and we consider this sacred ground. Lord, our intention tonight, we've come back to Bethel, but Lord, um, it's not about Bethel. We've, we've come back tonight to build an altar so that we can meet with El Bethel. Lord, we want to meet with you. Please speak to our hearts tonight. I believe there's something very important that you want us to know, be reminded of. Please help me to say it tonight. Help me to sound the alarm loud and clear so that all get the message. Please, you do the work. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus said that when he looked on the multitudes, he had compassion because they were as sheep having no shepherd. And he told the disciples to pray because the labors were few. The harvest truly was plenteous. There simply weren't enough labors. And Paul added to that thought and said in a wonderful verse, we all know whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And praise God for that verse. But how shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And Paul said, how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they hear without a preacher? That is a call that Jesus has made, that Paul has made. It's not trying to get men to be pastors. It's trying to get disciples to speak up on behalf of Christ and fulfill their God-called ministry, the ministry of reconciling sinners to God through the wonderful and precious word of the gospel. To go out and tell the world that Jesus died for their sins, that he was buried and that he rose again. That is a job, that is a calling, that is a responsibility given to all of us here tonight. That is not mine alone. It's not, it's not a pastor's job alone. Everybody here tonight. In Acts chapter 18, we see Paul fulfilling this. In verse number 6, he's, he's been talking to some Jews in the town of Achaia or in the province of Achaia. And it says, when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. Paul did two things at once. He offered two symbolic gestures. First of all, he shook his raiment. Now, Paul most likely had some sort of a Jewish robe or skirt on that was of like a you would expect in that day and age. I'm not going to wear it tonight, obviously, but he would shake that, that, that raiment. That's the equivalent of knocking the dust off. 
Jesus said if you go to a city and you preach to it and they don't receive the message, then you, you knock the dust off your shoes and you head to the next town. That's what Paul's doing. He's, he's dusting himself off saying, listen, I, I came to this town. I've preached to you folks. You're opposing yourself by not receiving the message of the gospel. They're blaspheming in the name of Christ. And Paul says, listen, it's, it's not my responsibility now. And then he, he added on another statement your blood be upon your own heads that is a powerful statement and it's that statement that I want to hone in on tonight why did he say it like that your blood be upon your own heads now the idea he's trying to get across is that I, I am not responsible for what happens next between you and God I've done my part that's that's the the idea that this figure of speech gets across but in Ezekiel chapter 33 we're going to get a full picture of why Paul would use those words Ezekiel chapter 33 let's begin reading at verse 1 it says and again the word of the Lord came unto me saying son of man speak to the children of thy people and say unto them when I bring the sword upon a land if the people of the land take a man of their coasts and set him for their watchman if when he seeth the sword come upon the land he blow the trumpet and warn the people. Then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. What's the idea? You know you're under attack. Your city is being attacked. So what do you do? You put a watchman up in a good position so that he can warn the people when the enemy's coming and say, listen, duck and cover, run, flee, whatever you need to do. Here comes the wrath. Here comes the destruction. In verse number five, he heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning. His blood shall be upon him, but he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. He said, if you're the one that is responsible for warning the people about the wrath to come, and you don't do your job of blowing the trumpet nice and loud, sounding the alarm, then yes, that wicked man, he will die in his iniquity, but I'm also, I'm also going to take issue with you. God says that watchman, he is partly to blame. In verse number seven, so thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth. Can I just make a quick connection? If I want you to understand the parable, the story that God has used, the illustration. He said, when you see the sword come, by the way, in verse number two, he says, when I bring the sword, this is the wrath of God that is coming down on these people. He says, when you see that come, now, what does this equate to? He says, Ezekiel, when you hear the word coming from my mouth, when I tell you, Ezekiel, that I'm going to do X, Y, Z to these people, then you know the sword is coming. Did you know that the word of God is called the sword? The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Isn't it unique how God points this out? He says, when you see the sword, oh, by the way, that's a picture of my Word. So Ezekiel, when you 
When you realize and recognize from my word that destruction is coming, I expect you to sound the alarm. I expect you to warn them from me. Garrett gave us an outstanding lesson last Sunday night, right? I, I found that that was brilliant how he drew that out. Remember the last point? What are we saved from? What are we saved by? What are we saved for? Saved from God, by God, for God. Outstanding outstanding way to think of it because God's holiness demands that he punishes sin but God's love and mercy demands that he saves us he says Ezekiel warned them from me they deserve to be punished but I'm giving them a chance verse number eight when I say unto the wicked O wicked man thou shalt surely die If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity. But thou hast delivered thy soul. What's he saying? Ezekiel, I won't require the blood at your hand. You can honestly say like Paul did, your blood be upon your own head. I did what I could. I want to say three quick things about this passage. Number one, we're all called to be watchmen. You understand that? How shall they hear without a preacher? We are all as saved people given the ministry of reconciliation which comes with the word of reconciliation. Every Christian should know how to tell somebody else how they can be saved. Amen. Just nod your head like that. Amen. Everybody should be ready if somebody comes to you tonight and says, listen, I got an hour to live and I don't know if I'm going to heaven when I die. Please tell me how I can know for sure. You ought to be ready to give that answer. Every believer is called to be a watchman. You have been placed in a strategic position. God has you right where you need to be so that you can reach out to someone and warn them of the wrath to come. The first thing that a watchman needs to do is see the sword. That's what he, that's what he said to, about the watchman in verse 3. Do you see it there? If when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet. First of all, you need to recognize the sword. What is that? That's the destruction that God has pronounced against the wicked. In verse 8, he said it like this. When I say unto the wicked, there's the sword. O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. Do you remember that phrase, thou shalt surely die? Remember remember where we first read that in the Bible? Genesis chapter 2. You eat from the tree in the midst of the garden, the one I've forbidden... The day you eat thereof, you'll surely die. This is the oldest warning in the book, literally. God has not quit warning wicked people, and now he has called you and I to get involved in that. And he says, listen, Ezekiel, when you hear from my mouth that I have pronounced destruction and judgment, you need to go warn them. So a good watchman sees the sword. He recognizes the reality. He recognizes the reality of what's going to happen to a wicked person who dies in their sin. I think so many times we look at people in a natural way. We just look at what's going on on the outside. And we say, well, he looks happy, smiles a lot, has a lot of laughs. He seems like a fun-loving guy. He's a nice enough guy. And we fail to, to see the sword in it. We fail to view that person through the lens of the Word of God. 
said, Brother Mike, what's the sword? Jesus said, fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Yea, rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus said, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Jesus said unto them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus said, for what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The Bible says, he that believeth on the Son hath life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The Bible says, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The Bible says, and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that obey not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. I've given you Jesus, I've given you John, I've given you Paul. It's a unanimous thing throughout the New Testament. The wrath of God is a real thing. And before the wicked will ever understand it, it has to sink into us. The watchmen have to appreciate how real that sword is. How sharp that two-edged sword is. And when God pronounces the word, oh bless your soul, he means what he says. As precious as the grace of God is, and it is. And as much as we love to hear the verses about God loving sinners, and he does, amen, God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I love those verses, amen. Don't you? Aren't you glad that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful to be saved? He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. I'm so glad we got verses that tell us how to be saved and know it. But folks, let's not, let's not treat the Bible like a buffet and just choose the verses we want. Let's also realize there are some verses in there that cut. And they cut deep. The watchman needs to see the sword. He needs to appreciate just how real, just how real the danger is for a lost man. The next thing he needs to do is sound the gospel alarm. In verse number three, it says, if he sees the sword come upon the land, he should blow a trumpet. Do you see that? He should blow a trumpet. In Isaiah I believe it's chapter 58, if memory serves. God told Isaiah, he said to that prophet, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. He said, Isaiah, you cried out. You let them know that I am disappointed with this and the wrath of God's abiding on them. You cry aloud. Don't spare, don't hold back. Sound the alarm. In verse 8, when I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die if thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That's the trumpet. That's the alarm. Is Ezekiel speaking to the people. Can I slip this in real quick? Uh, the gospel is not a jazz fest. <laughs> Amen. You can't just blow this trumpet any which way you want. 
I don't know if you've ever studied Numbers chapter 10, but God commanded Israel to make trumpets. And then he told them based on the occasion to blow trumpets in a certain way so that the people would know what's going on. Are we having a a town meeting? Blow the trumpet this way. Are we being attacked by the enemy? Blow the trumpet that way. We, We better make sure that we blow the trumpet so that when the wicked hear it, they know clearly what's going on. We don't need to sugarcoat the message. We don't need to air condition the lake of fire. It's bad. It's really bad. I think too many times in Christianity, we're trying to win people to ourselves instead of to Christ. We think that the chief aim of Christianity is to make more friends, and it's not. It's to make, it's to make sinners friends with God. That's the aim of it. Not to get them to fall in love with us, but with our great God. Can I ask you to hold Ezekiel 33? Just flip over to Isaiah 56, please. Isaiah 56. Isaiah chapter 56. Let's get verse number 10. You know what, I'm going to start you at verse 9. I think that'll help. Isaiah 56 and verse 9. Do we all have that? Isaiah 56 and verse 9. God says, All ye beasts of the field come to devour, yea, all ye beasts in the forest. Now God, what he's doing is calling out to these other nations and telling them, Come and punish my people. Come on, devour. What is that? That's the pronouncement of judgment. That's God sending out the sword. That's saying to the wicked... You're going to die in your sin. Verse 10, his watchmen, Israel's watchmen are blind. What happened? They don't see the sword. You know what they were preaching when all this trouble was going on? Peace, peace. Oh, everything's going to be fine. God's going to prosper you. God has a plan of peace for you. He said his watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. That's pretty tough talk. They don't know what's going on. They're all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. Ouch. (laughs) Dumb as in they cannot speak. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Verse 11, yea, they are greedy dogs which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, everyone for his gain from his quarter. I find that very interesting. Everyone's looking for his own gain. Do you know that's an old-fashioned way of saying prosperity gospel? (laughs) That's what they're all excited about. Forget about warning people of the beast coming to devour. How can we make money out of it? Verse 12, Come ye, say they, I will fetch wine, and we will fill ourselves with strong drink. And tomorrow shall be as this day, and much more abundant. God says these watchmen are blind and ignorant and they're dumb dogs and they cannot bark. They're afraid to lift up their voice and warn the wicked of their way. God have mercy. They don't want to offend anybody. The worst thing that could happen to them is somebody unfriend them on Facebook. (laughs) Give them a thumbs down, you know, on their post. Oh, dear God. I heard Brother Danny Farley, a pastor in Houston, he was preaching at a missions conference one time in Brother Ron Ralph's church. Many of you know that, that pastor. 
And uh, Brother Farley, man, I, I enjoy listening to him preach because he's from my home state, from Texas. And I don't know, it just sounds better in a Texan accent, amen. I, it's just me. It's just me. I, that's, that's subjective. That's not objective. But he got to preaching one night about these dogs that cannot bark. And, and he said, you know, whenever you have these dogs in town and, and everybody's just staying quiet, you just get one lone dog looking up at the moon, amen. And he just looks up at the moon and says, boom, boom. And he says, all of a sudden you get another dog. And that, the second dog joins in with the first dog and just says, whoa, whoa. And, just, and then the third dog. And before you know it, all these dogs all over the town are just barking. And then Brother Farley gets stirred up and he says, amen, we just need one preacher to open his mouth nice and wide and just start barking for God. And if you'll get stirred up and bark, amen, maybe the next preacher will get all stirred up and say, oh, and start barking with you. And then, then the third guy will get stirred up and before you know it, the whole town will just be barking the gospel. I thought, I mean, it sounds strange to be gospel dogs, right? But <laughs> anything to get the point across. Sound the alarm, brother. It may not be pretty. You may not be real good at it at first. You may need to pray a lot about the, the how and the when to reach out, but you need to be looking for an opportunity to warn somebody of an eternity without Christ. The last thing I'd like to say, if you'd come back to Ezekiel chapter 33. First of all, you need to see the sword. Secondly, you need to sound the alarm. And thirdly, you might be able to spare yourself some agony. Now, I, I might even take the yourself out of this. Let's just say spare some agony because you could possibly save that wicked man by reaching out to him. You could. You could. The Bible tells us in verse number 8. It says, When I say unto the wicked man, o, or unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked man, uh, I'm sorry, to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at thine hand. Guys, there's three scenarios I'd like to point out there's only three here's the best case scenario you warn the wicked he hears of the impending danger of an eternity without Christ he repents the angels in heaven rejoice and you bring him to church next week a couple weeks from now he gets baptized and then a few weeks later you're discipling him and then a couple years from now that convert of yours reaches out wins somebody to Christ and now you got three sitting next to you Man, I, I tell you, it can get really exciting. That's best case scenario. I, maybe I can call this silver medal. So at best, you warn the wicked and they get saved. At the least, if you warn the wicked and they don't repent, God will not require their blood at your hand. Amen, at the least. Now, I, I realize that sounds a bit selfish, it's not that we're trying to just relieve ourselves from some burden or, uh, of guilt. Our intention is to reach out to the lost, and we don't want to see any of them turn down the message. But at the least, when you stand before God at the judgment, he will not hold you responsible for that person's eternity. 
So at the least, you can lay your head on the pillow at night without feeling the pangs of guilt in your conscience for the multitude of souls that you let slip past you. And if you think I'm laying it on thick, wait till you stand before Jesus and he says, now were you with me or against me? Because if you're with me, you gather. But if, if you're not with me, then you scatter abroad. There is no middle ground. You can't say, I'm just going to stand back and not get involved. By doing so, you're allowing the people to scatter off into eternity. The watchman who doesn't say anything and doesn't get involved is allowing them to be destroyed without any warning. As soon as you got saved, you got involved, whether you like it or not. At best, they get saved. At the least, you spare yourself some agony. You spare, your, spare yourself some pain. At the worst, on the day of judgment, brother, if you can put those, that slide up, on the day of judgment, at the worst, that sinner, that sinner that you let slip past you and you never made an effort to reach out to him, at the worst, you see that sinner again. I've said this for years. You never meet anybody once. That's impossible. You don't. Everybody you meet, you'll meet them again. You'll see them at least one more time at the judgment. There's a little gospel tract. I've handed this out years and years ago when I was in America. I don't use it so much here. It's a very good tract. It's, a, it's actually a gospel tract. It's called The Letter. I have given you all the panels of this tract up on the screen. I'm sorry, those of you in the back, it might be a bit tough to see. I just wanted you to be able to follow along as best you can. I'd like to read this to you. This tract was written to give to Christians. I'm starting here. Excuse me, ma'am. I'd like to give you a little book to read. I'm concerned about your soul. No, thank you. I'm sure you'd enjoy reading the... I said no. I find your method both disgusting and offensive. I know what you're doing trying to save my soul and I resent it. I'm a Christian. That's what the woman says. I'm a Christian and what you're doing cheapens the gospel. I let people see how I live. I don't cram it down their throats like you do. You, sir, are a fanatic and an embarrassment. To some people, I guess I am, just like Peter, Paul, and James. They were considered fanatic. How dare you place yourself with the apostles? You're sick. Get away from me or I'll call the police. It sounds like you're ashamed of the gospel, ma'am. That night... Oh, Lord, I'm so glad I'm not like that man. I put the Zs in. <laughs> I'm so humiliated. Oh, I hate people like that. <laughs> Mildred goes to sleep and dreams a strange dream. It begins in the regions of the damned where all those who die in their sins go. She dreamed that a letter had been written down in that awful place by some tortured soul and a request had been made that the letter be delivered to someone living above. 
This is most unusual, but your request has been granted. We shall carry this letter to its final destination. So you understand she's dreaming this. And these two messengers are being sent out of hell to carry this letter to somebody on the surface. The two messengers begin their long journey through the caverns of the lost. They pass by sights never dreamed of by those living above. It was a nightmare of screams, curses, thunderous noises, and with the stench of sulfur in thick darkness. Jesus warned about this place. She dreamed of the untold multitudes down there who had rebelled against God and died in their sins. They had either rejected or disregarded his love gift of eternal life in heaven to save them from this terrible place. And then those two messengers say, we're almost there. And then down here on the side note, Mildred knew those lost souls would spend eternity in darkness, weeping and wailing and gnashing their teeth. The two messengers finally reach the entrance. This way, the journey is almost over. At last, we're here. Wait for me while I deliver the letter. Her dream continues. She's still dreaming this. She answers the phone. Yes, pastor? The pastor says, I called to thank you for your generous gift to the church. I'm so grateful. She replies, well, I felt it was my Christian duty. A little bit later, that messenger says, Mildred, Mildred. And she says, ugh, something smells like sulfur. That's brimstone, by the way, as you read it in the, in the King James Bible. Outside, the other messenger that didn't go in, he hears Mildred cry out, eek. And then he says, good, he's made contact. And just so that I read the whole thing, woo, rough, rough. <laughs> I got my dog in there that can bark, amen. <laughs> who, who are you? What do you want? <gasps> and that man says, I'm a messenger from the damned. Here is the letter I was to deliver. It's from a friend in hell. She dreams on. I must have had a nightmare. I've never, I've, I'll never take that stupid tranquilizer again. What's that? It's a letter. Am I going mad? I, I wonder what it says. She sees the letter in front of her. Let's see. It says, and now here comes the content of this letter. My friend, I stand in judgment now and feel that you're to blame somehow. While on earth I walked with you day by day and never did you point the way. You knew the Lord in truth and glory but never did you ever tell the story. My knowledge then was very dim. You could have led me safe to him. Though we lived together here on earth you never told me of your second birth. And now I stand this day condemned because you failed to mention him. You taught me many things, that's true. I called you friend and trusted you. But I learned now that it's too late 
You could have kept me from this fate. We walked by day and night, and yet you showed me not the light. And you let me live, love, and die, and all the while you knew I'd never live on high. Yes, I called you friend in life, and I trusted you in joy and strife. And yet in coming to this end, I see you really weren't my friend. Signed, Francis. In the next pain, Mildred says, What a ghastly dream. I'm wet and shaky. Oh dear, oh dear, it seems so real. So now she's awake. Oh Lord, the last thing I want is for Francis to end up in that awful place where the Bible says the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. Even if it cost our friendship, I'll tell her about Jesus, how he left heaven and was born of a virgin. I'll tell her how Jesus died on the cross for her and shed his precious blood to wash away her sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'll tell her how he rose from the dead and went back to heaven. I'll tell Francis that when she makes Jesus her Savior and Lord, she will go to heaven. Yes, I'll call Francis Monday night. She'll listen to me. I know she will. Monday night. Hello. Is Francis there? Mildred, didn't you hear? Saturday night, Francis and John's car skidded in the rain and they hit a tree. John's still alive, but Francis died suddenly. Oh, my God in heaven, she's lost, and I didn't tell her. I was afraid. And the tract ends, Thus saith the Lord, When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die. And thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Ezekiel. I'd hate for you to dismiss this sermon tonight as just some made-up story. I believe it mirrors reality all too well. I've often thought about how this might play out. How is it that the Lord would require the blood of the wicked at your hand? Now, I can't prove this doctrinally, but can I just leave you with this picture in your mind? That lost soul, standing before God, gives an account for all they've said and done, they're weighed in the balances and found wanting. And they hear that awful sentence passed down from the judgment throne. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. And before that soul departs from the throne room, God points to you and says, You, come here. And you... Saved child of God. You come forward and he says, stand next to this sinner. And I'm sure by that point you're wondering, why did God call me out of all the people in the universe now I'm standing next to this person? God says, you could have reached him.
Now I'd like for you to tell that sinner why you didn't want to tell that person about the gospel. Explain to them why you didn't try. Go ahead and give them the excuse that you gave the pastor, that you gave the other people in the church. Go ahead and tell them what your excuse was. He said, but this doesn't explain the blood on the hands. And then God says, since you didn't help them get to heaven, now you're going to help them get to hell. You take them by the hand and lead them there. You didn't try to lead them to me. So now you can lead them to their eternity. And you grab that sinner and take that sinner to the edge of eternity. And you have to cast them out. I can't prove that doctrinally. Do I need to? Can you imagine as that sinner falls off into the lake of fire and you look at your hands and there's the blood? At the least, at the least, you can spare yourself the agony of having to look at that sinner and say, I didn't care enough to try. But folks, at the at the best, the best case scenario, if you try, you might just change that person's eternity. We're all watchmen. We need to see the sword and sound the alarm. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Caleb will play something quietly. Folks, if you need to come make an altar here in the front, this morning's message is still just as applicable. Have you seen the sword tonight? Say, preacher, what do you mean? Have you heard the word of God? Has it sunk in clearly that when a wicked man dies in his sin, he goes off into a Christless eternity without hope and without God? Oh, God. Oh, my goodness. friend if you're here tonight and you've never been saved I'm begging you I'm begging you if you need me to I'll come right down there right where you're at right now crawl on my hands and knees if you just let me show you how to come to Christ please I'm begging you why would you want to go one more day without the Lord Jesus living in your heart please I'm begging you would you think would you consider what he did for you He loved you so much He died in your place. He paid for your sins. He suffered instead of you. If you've never been saved, would you please give your heart to Christ tonight? Jesus believed in a place called hell. He talked about it more than anyone. We don't want you to end up there. I know a lot of you here tonight, you are saved. Hell should still be just as real to you. What are you doing about it?
Are you the blind watchman that cannot bark? That cannot sound the alarm? So worried about yourself and what you can get out of it? One of the greatest days in my Christian life was when I got divorced from public opinion. I stopped caring what the world thought and just tried to reach him with the gospel. Some of you Christians would do real well to get gospel-minded. Did you warn anyone this week? I'm sure you crossed paths with somebody that was lost. Did you warn them? Did you hand them a tract? Did you schedule a coffee to talk with them about Christ? Did you invite them to church? Or did you let them just pass by? You know what we need, church? We need God to break our hearts. Oh God, peel back. Peel back a layer of hell and let us see what it's like. That rich man in hell, he said... Abraham, please send somebody to tell my brothers so that they don't come to this place. Abraham said, they have Moses, they have the prophets. Every single person that ends up in hell becomes a soul winner instantly. Isn't that a shame? That a man in hell says, go tell them and warn them, and yet here we are saved and not warning. How can that be? We still have several at the altar. I'm, I want to let God do his, do his work tonight. How about you, friend? Is God calling you to Bethel? Is he, is he asking you to come and make an altar? say that's not how I do it yeah but that's how God does it that's what he said to do make an altar that's what he said make a commitment tonight I'm going to do what I can to reach the lost around me Father Please, Lord, let it be real to us like it is to you. Lord, please help us not to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Give us the boldness we need, Lord, to to say the right thing at the right time. Lord, we, we want to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But Lord, this message is so important. How can we just put it off? Please, God. Give us a chance to reach those around us. Open the door for us to say something. God, help us to sound the alarm. Oh, please, God. I don't want to stand next to someone on the day of judgment. Have to tell them that I didn't try. Please, God.
Lord, help us as a church. Give us a soft heart. God, break our hearts. Help us to love lost souls like you love them. You loved them so much that you gave yourself. You laid down your life. God, help us to do the same, to lay down our life for your sake and for the gospel. Please, Lord, give us that heart. Give us that soft, burdened heart. Father, this week, this week, please, Lord, help the folks in this church. Give them that opportunity this week to share the gospel with somebody. Lord, please anoint our eyes with eyes salve so that we may see, so that we may see just how serious you are about this. Father, I also want to pray if there's any lost souls here tonight, please draw that sinner to you. Please let that person come to know Christ tonight personally. Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts. Now help us to go out into this lost and dying world and to do something about it. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent somebody to warn us. Oh God, we'll rejoice forever because of it. Give us a chance this week, Lord, to serve you. Father, we ask all this tonight in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.